It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Bernie Sanders senior advisor Jeff Weaver is here in studio. He's telling us all about the 2020 field, Medicare for all, the economic plan, and how a president, Bernie Sanders, would negotiate with China. Speaking of China, the president also has China on his mind. We will dive into the specifics, the latest developments between the U.S. and China trade deal. Jeff Weaver's here. James Homan, national political correspondent from The Washington Post, author of The Daily 202. He's going to stop by, as is Hagar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies, former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. We've got such a great show. We are following all of the latest developments surrounding the U.S.-China trade deal, potential for there to be continued unrest now for quite some time. Economists worried about the looming, a potential looming economic recession. Jeff Weaver is a senior advisor to Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign. He's here with me in studio. We were talking about this a little bit earlier on Bloomberg Television. But how would President Bernie Sanders negotiate with China? Well, look, Kevin, you know, as we were discussing, you know, Bernie Sanders has been very critical of all of these uh, pro-corporate job-killing trade deals, uh, NAFTA, PNTR with China, uh, and the rest. Uh, but the difference is uh, Bernie Sanders, unlike Donald Trump, would not go in there with a hand grenade. And that's what the president has really done. I mean, at a very base level, uh, you know, what your listeners should think, you know, the Chinese really take Donald Trump seriously? I mean, come on. Uh, and, and it would be very different in a Bernie Sanders a White House. I mean, the goal, number one, is to make sure that we negotiate deals which do not bleed American jobs uh, and that do not uh, negatively infect, uh, impact uh, working people and the uh, environment. Uh, you know, that's job number one. But in terms of the deals we already have, look, I do think we have to renegotiate a bunch of those deals. Bernie Sanders thinks we need to renegotiate a bunch of those deals. Uh, but you do it uh, in a... a in a way that does not sort of blow everything up in the meantime. Jeff, when I was preparing for this show, I, I was really kept coming back to one of these questions that we hear so much in the chattering class here in Washington, you know, D.C. There's a lot of that chattering <laughs> in the chattering class. And it's at this point that President Donald Trump sort of upended the issue of trade policy in the Republican 
party and went against, so to speak, the Chamber of Commerce and and whatnot. He's using tariffs. The business community, the big business community uh, is against tariffs. Many Republicans have argued that the president needs to back off. What do you say to folks who would, would argue that, well, Senator Sanders might use tariffs, Senator Warren might use tariffs, and how does that factor into sort of this this shift that we've seen on on trade policy amongst the two parties? Well, look, you know, American trade policy, you know, let's going back to at least the 1990s has, you know, has been driven by uh, the big money interests in this country. You know, Bill Clinton and the the DLC, you know, uh, Democratic Leadership Council, also known as the Democrats for the leisure class in some circles, uh, you know, drove this sort of corporate friendly uh, trade policy, uh, which had a couple of bad uh, impacts, one of which was a decimated uh, industrial capacity in this country. And the other was it really shattered the Democratic Party and the traditional alliance between the party uh, and labor. And I think a lot of working people, you know, who had looked to the Democratic Party historically to protect their interests suddenly realized that you had an administration and you had a new set of priorities uh, that were not in line with them. And that actually created the space for somebody, a demagogue like Trump, to come in uh, and uh, take a lot of votes away from the Democratic Party. Do you think, Jeff Weaver, senior advisor to Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign, do you think the U.S. is headed toward another economic recession? Well, look, you know, it seems to me that we're probably getting to the end. And I think a lot of uh, folks in the financial uh, sector are saying this as well. We're probably getting uh, close to the end uh, of the Obama recovery, uh, now about to, about to enter the Trump recession potentially. And, you know, one of the uh, problems we've had in this country is that because so much of the uh, income, new income and wealth is going to the top, you know, the working people of this country and people living in marginalized communities are economically uh, very, very fragile. Uh, and so if we could create an economy, in fact, where more of the money went to the people at the bottom who, as we all know, spend it uh, almost immediately because they have so many uh, needs, uh, you know, I think we would create a much more stable economy in the long run. Right now, again, we end up in these booms and booms and bust cycles. You have so few people at the top with so much money, uh, and they all chase the latest uh, uh, balloon, economic balloon or economic bubble, uh, and that bubble always bursts. What's the difference, to stick with trade, What, what what's the difference between how – President Joe Biden would negotiate with China and how President Sanders would negotiate with China. Well, I don't want to I, look. I don't want to speak for Vice President Biden. I, you know, he has a record on trade. You know, he has said he's not has no apologies for his vote on NAFTA. Uh, quite shockingly, uh, but look, the goal of negotiating with another country is to create uh, an agreement which is mutually beneficial, but not just in the aggregate. To make sure that it is mutually beneficial to a broad range of people in the country, and that includes uh, working people, farmers. You know, one of the problems with the Trump approach dealing with China uh, is, you know, he looks at it from a very xenophobic or nationalistic uh, point as opposed to looking about about how it impacts various sectors of the American uh, population. So, you know, he has uh, this attack on China, but, you know, the farmers in Iowa and other places are really the ones that are getting caught in the crossfire because his eye is not on the ball of uh, helping uh, working people and small business people. You know, it's about advancing this sort of xenophobic agenda. Jeff Weaver's here. Coming up, we're going to talk Medicare for All. We're going to talk about the crowded field. He's a senior advisor to Senator Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign. But before all of that, is this? We, we were talking a little bit about this, and I, I wanted to get another longer time. Is this Joe Biden's Democratic Party, Jeff Weaver? No, look, absolutely not. You know, the party has changed dramatically in the last uh, 20 years. The rank and file of the Democratic Party and democratically aligned independents uh, are moving in a much more progressive direction. I think we saw that in 2016. I think you're seeing it uh, now. 
Uh, and, you know, there, are a, there is a sort of, you know, what I call the Democratic donor class, which still clings to the sort of 1990s, uh, you know, pro-corporatist viewpoint. Uh, but the vast majority of the party has moved on, frankly. Uh, and that is what we have got to do if we're going to beat Trump and move the country in a very different direction. All right, Jeff, stick here. We're going to talk about Medicare for All and, and a, a host of other issues coming up. Jeff Weaver's here. He's senior advisor to Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes, Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, along with Cardi B, who got an interview, everybody, with Senator Bernie Sanders. I'm Kevin Cirilli, not Cardi B. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Every day is a beautiful day in Washington, even if it's raining. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. We're talking all things 2020 with someone caught in the middle of it all. He's here in studio, Jeff Weaver. We are thrilled to have him. He's a senior advisor to Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign, was with the Bernie Sanders campaign last cycle as well. All right, let's talk Medicare for all. Sure, let's let's do it. Is Senator Kamala Harris's Medicare plan Medicare for all? No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, it is a, a system that essentially relies on uh, private companies. Look, Medicare for all uh, is a concept which exists, of course, in Canada and other places, uh, where you have a single uh, pool of uh, patients, which is everybody. Uh, you take out the private insurance companies, which creates a tremendous amount of uh, free money in the system, which allows you to extend coverage uh, to everybody. In fact, there's been a number of studies which show that you can extend a coverage to everybody, and the country as a whole will pay less than it pays now uh, with no co-payments, no deductibles, and complete freedom of choice of provider, which is something that most people in this country do not have. So on the issue of Medicare for All, just sticking with this, because this is a fascinating issue, that your boss really carried the party with him and made it an issue, created the box that candidates are trying to check. On the issue of Medicare for All, the Biden campaign says, okay, well, if we have Medicare for All, what do you tell the union worker who's negotiating their health care? Are they going to lose their health care? Look, and let me say generally before we talk about unions, you know, anybody who has somewhat better health care than their neighbor and is afraid about, quote unquote, losing it, it's a little bit like the person who's in Economy Plus who paid an extra 19 bucks, and you come back and say, hey, I'm putting you in first class. And you're like, hey, I paid $19 for Economy <laughs> Plus. And you're like, you're going to go to first class. <laughs> uh, but on the union point specifically, you know, that's a very easy thing uh, to address. You know, what you do is, you know, unions and the companies negotiate. Uh, both of them do very exhaustive calculations of the overall value of the compensation package, which includes wages, health care, and other benefits. And all you have to do is require that if and when Medicare for, comes, uh, for All comes into place, uh, that you require the company to give that the savings that they realize uh, back to the uh, workers in other wages and benefits, which they can negotiate out with the individual unions in that case. So it's, you know, there is not, it's not a situation where these workers are going to lose some part of their compensation. You just require the companies to give it to them in other ways. And then at the end of the day, workers will have better health care and they'll have higher wages. So let's say the company the company doesn't increase the wages. What happens then? Well, look, I think, you know, I think that the approach that the senator has been uh, working on is one where you would create, let's call it a tax uh, advantage or a disadvantage for not doing it that's uh, sufficiently uh, heavy that the companies would uh, would in fact do it. I, I saw this on the Bloomberg terminal that Senator Elizabeth Warren has embraced Sanders' Medicare for All. Uh, 
Do you think that, that he's getting enough credit for, for his Medicare for All plan? Look, I, you know, actually, there's been a number of polls recently uh, among Democratic primary voters. And regardless of where voters are on the horse race, uh, in every one of those polls, Bernie Sanders is the most trusted uh, person on health care. Uh, among Democratic primary voters. So, you know, this is an issue that voters know Bernie Sanders has led on for decades, frankly. Uh, they understand, you know, because they feel it every day, the excesses of the insurance company who tells them they can't have this procedure or that procedure, that they have to see this doctor or that doctor, uh, or the pharmaceutical company uh, companies that are ripping them off uh, exorbitantly. Uh, people feel it in their everyday lives. They know Bernie Sanders stands with them and that he has been a leader on this particular issue. I got one more question on the horse race. Sure. And then I want to add just a couple on, on policy. Everyone wants to know, everyone knows their friends, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. When is the truce break? Well, there's no truce, quote unquote truce. <laughs> but let I guess, me, you know, true. I shouldn't have said truce. When does the goodwill end? Well, I don't think, look, they are friends, uh, in, in fact. Uh, and there is a lot of goodwill between them. And, and you know, what I think is going on right now is that there is a debate in the party you mentioned earlier is just Joe Biden's party. Uh, and I think that what we are seeing is a, a reckoning of the fact that it is not Joe Biden's party. It's not the corporatist wing of the Democratic Party's party. It's the progressive wing. And as we get closer to the actual date of voting, I think people will start to look at the individual candidates. But right now, uh, there's really a victory of the progressive wing over this sort of uh, withering, uh, uh, corporate failed corporatist wing of the party. And that's what you're seeing. That's what you saw in the second debate with Bernie Sanders, uh, with Elizabeth Warren's support defending the progressive agenda. Glass-Steagall, he bringing it back? Absolutely, 100%. Look, Why? Why is that important? Why is it important? It, look, we, people who do banking should do banking. People who should do other things should do other things. Like we, I think we saw in the last recession that the intertwined nature of uh, the financial services market uh, really cost this country a tremendous amount of money. Like it creates structural, it, it creates the ability for companies to create a, a systemic uh, collapse in this country. And we've got to stop that. All right. Jeff Weaver, so much to talk about. What about this, the last policy thing I want to ask you for folks who say, how are you going to pay for free college for all? What was the answer? Well, the free college for all one actually is a quite easy to answer. Bernie Sanders has talked about uh, imposing a financial transactions tax, an anti-speculation tax, which is you know other countries have, uh, many other countries have, and that this would in fact provide um, enough money to do two things. One is to uh, create uh, tuition-free public colleges and universities and vocational schools. Uh, and it would also allow uh, Bernie Sanders' administration to cancel all currently existing student debt. Final question. We're doing the lightning round, everybody, the with lightning. Jeff Weaver, the senior advisor to Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. He's been so generous with his time. As if he's not in Iowa or New Hampshire, uh, he's been so generous with his time. But the final question that I have for you is uh, on the issue pertaining specifically to trade policy and specifically to the Green New Deal. And it, what do you say to a worker in a refinery or a worker in a coal mine who hears the Green New Deal? And maybe they're, and maybe they're in a union. Maybe they're progressive or they decided between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders in the last cycle. Those voters exist. What do you say to someone, one of those workers, who says, wait, this Green New Deal is going to shut down this refinery. This Green New Deal is going to cost me and my family my job. This Green New Deal could, could cost coal miners and, and, and really dramatically upend the way that, that the town that I'm a part of, uh, uh, that is a part of me, uh, operates. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a great question. And let me let me say this. I, you know, I hope everybody understands that Bernie Sanders does not believe that coal miners and refinery workers uh, are some kind of enemy here. Uh, but there is a, a global crisis, and it, in fact, affects uh, 
the children and grandchildren of coal miners and refinery workers like everybody else. Uh, that's why it's called a Green New Deal. And the New Deal part of this is that we are going to ensure that people who work in those industries are not displaced. This is not about just giving folks job training. This is about ensuring the economic security of folks who currently work in industries uh, you know, that will play a much, much, much less part of our economy going forward. Jeff Weaver, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for talking about all these issues. We hope to get your boss on eventually. Jeff Weaver, everybody, he's a senior advisor to Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign. Very much appreciate the time. Coming up, we pivot to foreign policy. Hagar Shamali is back. James Homan from The Washington Post is back. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes, Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On. The funding of the world right now has never looked better. We have really fair deals and we have many deals in the works. Call me a nationalist if you'd like. They are doing studies on Donald Trump. They're trying to figure it all out. Behind the Tweet with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. There's been a lot that the president has been tweeting about today. He tweeted, quote, It would show great weakness if Israel allowed Representatives Omar and Representatives Tlaib to visit. They hate Israel and all Jewish people, and there is nothing that can be said or done to change their minds. Minnesota and Michigan will have a hard time putting them back in office. They are a disgrace, end quote. It came following Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's barring of those two congresswomen that I just mentioned from entering into Israel. Hagar Shamali is CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies, former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. She's back. And James Homan, making his Bloomberg Radio Sound On debut, is a national political correspondent for The Washington Post. He is also the author of The Daily 202, I Cannot Start My Day Without It. James, why is President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu talking like this? Well, Prime Minister Netanyahu has a strong political incentive with the upcoming redo election to uh, placate his base. President Trump, you know, has a, a bone and he's running after it. He thinks that this is good politics for him. Uh, he thinks that it's helpful to go after the squad, as they call themselves, two of the four members, that this excites his folks, that it sets up kind of a culture war clash that he thinks works to his advantage and, and excites his base. Um, you know, one the thing that that struck me the most is right, it's so clear that this is a ploy by President Trump that that Prime Minister Netanyahu played into, um, and it shocks me that you know that he that he was goaded into it, especially after the ambassador. The Israeli ambassador to the United States had already affirmed that, you know, this wouldn't happen. They wouldn't be barred entry. Um, but the part that, um, you know, it, this is it's an unprecedented move. I certainly haven't seen anything like this um, in recent history where a U.S. president is going to is asking a foreign government to take 
action against a U.S. government official. When we impose visa bans here against outside officials, it's because they pose a threat to the United States. It's a serious move. And it's not just the tweets, Hagar and James, that, that, that he's tweeted about earlier today. Just within the last half hour, President Trump speaking briefly to reporters before boarding a plane in New Jersey to head to Manchester, New Hampshire, where he's going to have a rally there later tonight. Uh, and he says that on the issue with China, for example, he says, quote, that the September China meeting is still on, as I understand it. He says that the longer the trade war goes on, the stronger the U.S. gets. Trump says China doing poorly. He wants to make a deal. And then he added, and this is this is why I'm saying this, is because on the issue of Israel and Omar, he says that President Trump says, I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, Omar and Talib have said, quote, unquote, disgraceful things. I mean, this is a fight to James' point. I mean, James, he wants to have this fight, even if it makes many people uncomfortable. And he's not thinking long term. You know, obviously, this sets a precedent where, you know, if we're if, if he's telling, I mean, it's one of the one of the many norms that he's challenged over the last two years. I mean, this is one of the more significant ones, because it does create a precedent for other countries. If, you know, if uh, pro-Kurd Republican members of Congress should can Turkey and exclude them from coming into the country now, you know, we, Trump is Trump is opening a Pandora's box, but that's not how he's thinking. He's thinking in purely in electoral politics terms, and also sort of in in short term, immediate terms. The reality is, if they had just let these two congresswomen come, it wouldn't have been a very big deal. It wouldn't have been a, a the biggest story in the news for a day, let alone multiple days. And and in that sense, you know, Trump. I think can be his worst enemy, but again, I think here there is a method to the madness. Let me let me play for you, Hagar, what Congressman Tim Ryan had to say about the uh, about this whole whole matter. He was asked about it uh, earlier today out on the campaign trail. Here's Congressman Tim Ryan, Democrat from Ohio. I really think the issue with Trump is that he he's coming unhinged because this looming recession. We saw him go off the rails yesterday. Now today, it's this. It'll be something tomorrow, and the more the heat gets cranked up and the more this economy softens, the less he's going to be able to to keep his stuff together. (laughs) You know, it's funny. This morning when I saw his tweet, my first thought was, you know, is it a boring day? Is there something that he – is there a reason he – I knew that the the punditry would be crazy because it's so – it's such a ridiculous move. You know, but the thing is, at the end of the day, the Israelis were a pawn in this, right? They, on the contrary, should have insisted that the congresswomen come to Israel, meet with Israeli officials, meet with Israeli opposition. And by the way, I would add to this that I think the congresswomen are, should have also included on their trip visits to Israel and visits to different parts of Israel, the Israeli officials and the opposition having been Preach. in the government. Yeah, I mean, having been in the government a long time, it's kind of weird not to go to Israel. There's we are so many kind of weird. I mean, <laughs> we, there's so many things we work with together with them in, right? Whether it's defense or counterterrorism or technology or whatever. But Representative you know, Omar, just the big stuff. I mean, I mean right. I'm, I'm I'm being a little bit humorous here, but what you're saying is so important. Right, you're so, going to Israel. Right. The airport's in Tel Aviv. You're going to Israel. You you know, Representative Omar said in her statement that you know, as someone who sits on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and she oversees appropriations, it's important for her to be informed. She's right. Of course it's important for her to be informed. Going to one side is not being informed. You have to go to both sides, period. Yeah, and this is this ensures, I think, you know, one of the problems is obviously so many Democrats are solidly, reliably pro-Israel. And this, I think, again, in the short-term way, it feels like this is going to divide. The, this, the, the 
Israel relationship shouldn't be partisan, mm-hmm. and uh, and and this is uh, this is problematic because it's going to force Democrats to you know in taking the side of the you know uh, it's not like they're going to all of a sudden become pro BDS or anything, but what it does is it 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 makes Israel look partisan. It makes Israel look like a Republican issue. And the the strength of the alliance for so long has been that it's not. I want to pivot to Hong Kong because the president just within the last half hour briefly telling reporters that he wants to see China solve Hong Kong in a humane way. He went on to say that he wouldn't want to see violent Hong Kong crackdown. Hagar, we've been talking about this all week and the situation in Hong Kong. What do you make now of the president's remarks within the last half hour or so? Eh. I mean, listen, it, not bad, but not great. He, he, we're looking to the president to express support for the pr- protesters. He's got to do that. And it's important. It's a representative of our value. Um, I was at the White House when we had the Arab Spring, and I remember dealing with these issues. And so I can appreciate that it's it's confusing, that, you know, you don't want to go out too far. You don't want to put the, the, the cart before the horse. But these these um, these protests have been, taken, have been going on for a while, and they're demanding things that are very fair. And, and um, the Chinese are... Are, are playing dirty with the, the deals that they had with, you know, when they took over the territory in 1999. What? So, yeah, he's got to be clearer about it. He's not being. James Homan, what's the, you're the political zeitgeist master here. You know, all of the political insides and outs. It's like I'm talking to, like, Mike Allen's protege. But what do you say, what is the political calculation for President Trump not, to Kargar's point, going as aggressively out in favor of Hong Kong as predecessors might it's have. all about trade it's all about really? trade it's all it's all about again d- domestic political considerations trump is not a you know a, a, a lowercase d democrat he's not someone who's kind of you know on the side of you know on the there if you if you think about every kind of leader what side of the barricades they're on you know are they storming the barricades or are they on their side of the barricades donald trump's on the other side of the barricades kind of guy uh and and i think you know he made a he made a commitment during a phone call that caught his aides off guard with Xi Jinping saying, I won't criticize you publicly for Hong Kong a few weeks ago. Uh, that was reported by the Financial Times a few weeks ago. But then subsequently, you know, other people have, have followed up on that reporting. And, and aides have been going to the president and saying, we're going to do this. You know, you need to speak out. And he won't. And uh, and so I think, you know, we're, he's, he's responding to some pressure to do so. And Xi Jinping made a deal on fentanyl that he totally went back on. All right, right coming exactly. Up, we're exactly. going to talk more politics and policy with an all-star panel. James Homan of The Washington Post, everybody, the author of The Daily 202, and Hagar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategy, former spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence at the Treasury Department. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes, Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio. Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. It's been a jam-packed news day. We have been covering all things on the program, and it's now time for a segment that I like to call What's on Your Radar? And we've got two political all-stars. James Homan, everybody. He's first time on Bloomberg Sound On. He's national political correspondent for the Washington Post and author of one of my daily must-reads, The Daily 202, and Hagar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies. She's really like our resident foreign policy expert of Bloomberg Sound On, but she's also the former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. 
I'm going to start off because one of the things that's on my radar has, has been this tragic story from I grew up right outside of Philadelphia and Delco. Uh, and last night uh, there was that shooting and police officers in Philadelphia getting shot uh, in, in Philadelphia. And you led with this in your daily note today, James Homan, in, in the Washington Post Daily 202. You say the headline reads, police officers keep getting shot by people with criminal records who are not allowed to own guns. The president tweeting about this as well, this this notion as well, earlier today. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that when lawmakers return from congressional recess in September, they're going to try to get something done, some type of bipartisan legislative fix done in September. But talk about what you what you report today in the Daily 202. Yes, yeah, so this is part of a pattern, unfortunately, Kevin. I wish I could say it was just this terrible incident in Philadelphia, but earlier this week, in fact, two police officers were killed in California, uh, in one in Los Angeles. And that was a very similar situation. The guy in Philadelphia had an incredibly long rap sheet, including a lot of uh, gun crimes, convictions that uh, made him legally ineligible to buy a gun. Obviously, he still got one. Uh, there are lots and lots of ways to get guns in America. Uh, for, for most Americans, they can do it legally and easily. For others, uh, even if you're you're banned by law from getting a gun, you can still get them at, at um, there's gun show loopholes. You can buy parts online and assemble them. You can uh, buy them underground through gangs that are trafficking them. There's a host of different ways that people are are able to get guns even when they're not allowed to. And I think, you know, those are they're breaking the law as it is on the books. That doesn't mean that you can't pass new laws or or change things. Uh, but it 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 is something that lawmakers have to grapple with as they're trying to make public policy. Uh, how do you prevent these people who shouldn't have guns, uh, who aren't currently allowed to have them from getting them? And uh, and so there are a lot of loopholes. And it doesn't sound like some of those loopholes are, are under consideration, which is what I tried to write about this morning, that you certainly you know expanding background checks would make it harder for some of these folks to get guns. Uh, there was also a case in Arkansas a couple of weeks ago where a, a, a cop uh, was killed, a sheriff's deputy. Uh, but but you have to, you know, there, there's there's changes to the law that can be made that would stop these kinds of things from happening. I grew up reading the Delco Daily Times. Yeah. I also grew up reading the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, one of the journalists there, Aubrey Whalen, uh, covering this story. We went to college together, and the headline of this story, I'm going to tweet it out. I mean, you have to read this. The headline reads, after hours of fear, terrified parents comfort children after daycare lockdown near North Philly police shooting. Uh it, it, this story just puts into perspective that seven and a half hours, seven and a half hours standoff in North Philadelphia. Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine that. But that's the reality that Philadelphia is waking up to today. And it's the reality for this this community. Excellent reporting, James, in the Daily 202 on this. So that's what's on my radar. I can't stop thinking about it. And kudos to the Philadelphia police for everything that they've done uh, on on this issue and, and the work that they did in that community. James, what's on your radar? So Donald Trump, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, yes. in Manchester, New Hampshire tonight. Yes, he loves New Hampshire. He loves you know, New he, Hampshire. Remember, he won the New Hampshire primary after he lost the Iowa mm -hmm. caucus in 2016. And everybody said, you don't have a ground game. And I'll never forget this at his victory speech. He goes, we learned a lot about a ground game. And you know who he pointed to? Corey Lewandowski. Mm -hmm. And Corey is from New Hampshire. And he has been an operative in New Hampshire for a long time, managed a Senate race there, worked for the, the Cokes there. And uh, and Corey kind of has gotten the political bug of wanting himself to run for office. He's leaning toward running for Senate. 
uh, every Republican kind of from the establishment wing of the party, everyone who was against Trump in 2016 has been pleading with the National Party, with the White House, with the president not to endorse Corey Lewandowski. They say he will not be able to beat Gene Shaheen, the incumbent Democratic senator there. They say that uh, if, if Corey Lewandowski is the Republican nominee for Senate, what it would likely do is mean that the Republican governor there, Chris Sununu, would lose reelection. So oh, lots of concern, lots of concern among Republicans in New Hampshire about Corey getting in that Lincoln, race. Lincoln, you'll miss it. The House Judiciary Committee on Thursday subpoenaed President Donald Trump's former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski. Switching gears, Hagar, what's on your political radar? The developments with Iran, the U.S., mainly the latest in the tensions, um, has been taking me. The news is moving so fast, it's actually a little bit hard to follow. But on Tuesday, the Iranians had said that a vessel that the British had seized off the coast of Gibraltar on July 4th uh, would be released. Um, That vessel had been detained for sanctions violations for allegedly smuggling oil to Syria. Um, and that's, you know, that's you had seen a lot happening over the course of the last few weeks related to that. The Iranians seized a British tanker and so on. So uh, that happened on Tuesday. And the United States this morning said that they had applied to seize that ship from the Europeans, from the U.K., um, which would stall its release. Uh, but then a couple hours after that, uh, the authorities in Gibraltar decided to go ahead and release it. So the reason I'm very fascinated by this, and I think it's an interesting development, is... It you sounds know, like a real game of Battleship. It, I mean... <laughs> Good point. You know it is. I mean, I'm, I, I stand firm with my point that I really, I do not believe we're headed to full-scale war. I just don't see an, a scenario where a miscalculation, even a miscalculation could make that happen. But that being said, you know, what this means for U.S., Tensions with Iran is going up. Things are are getting, you know, even shakier. We're seeing the next rounds of things. Um, but then on the other hand, I think from a sanctions perspective, as you know, I'm a sanctions nerd and I love to go no, into that stuff. No, I know. Stuff. I, I'm a nerd too. Yeah, we all are here. Yeah. Um, I find it, it's just, it's not unprecedented for the United States to request seized vessels uh, that were seized for other, you know, sanctions violations abroad. I want to slow down for our listeners. We've got like a minute and a half left. It's not unprecedented right. for the United States to seize vessels. Right. That were seized by other foreign authorities. Yeah. yeah. So I'll give you an example. Of a couple months ago, the 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 Indonesians seized a vessel for violating North Korea uh, sanctions. Sorry, that happened last year. And a couple months ago, the United States was able to seize that vessel from the Indonesians. So it's again, it's not unprecedented. It does happen. It's interesting. Tehran's throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sir. Zarif was not happy. But, you know, I don't believe anything Zarif says. So oh. why should I mean, truthfully, just to kind of top line view this for folks getting in their car on the way home from work. Why bottom line, tweetable line, why does it matter the developments with this ship? For U.S.-Iranian relations? Because it's another step in the escalation in the U.S.-Iran relations and because the United States is looking for creative options to find different ways to increase the pressure further. You know, September's going to be a crazy month, but one of the things that I'm like really already thinking about is if President Trump shows up at the U.N. and what his message is going to be, because that's when all mm-hmm. of this is going to come to a head. Hagar Shamali, my good friend Hagar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies, former Treasury spokesperson. Thanks for being here. James, did you have a good time? I had a great time. Good to be with you, If Kevin. people want to subscribe to the Washington Post Daily 202, how can they do it? Just go to WashingtonPost.com slash Daily 202, like right. the D.C. area code. Congrats on all the success of that. James Homan, everybody. He is the author of the Washington Post Daily 202. He is the national political correspondent for the Washington Post. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV, Bloomberg Radio. 
Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.